I am Warren Martin with Kansas Strong, the Kansas Oil and Gas Resources Fund. Mr. Warren Martin, thank you very much for joining the program here today. I wanted to find out what's going on in Kansas. I saw Kansas Strong, saw you on social media. So I appreciate, first of all, you being active on social media, talking about what's going on in the oil and gas world. And not a lot of people think of Kansas when it comes to the oil and gas world. So let's talk a little bit about what's going on in Kansas. But first, we better get your uh, organization a plug so we can set the table and find out who you are, Mr. Warren Martin of Kansas Strong. What is Kansas Strong? First of all, how are you doing today? Oh, doing great. It's a pleasure to be on with you today. Uh, really happy to be here. Kansas Strong is a nonprofit organization. Uh, our legal name is the Kansas Oil and Gas Resources Fund. And so we are a nonprofit organization that is funded by Kansas oil and natural gas producers to educate people uh, about the oil and gas industry here in the state. Uh, to help them understand the role that it plays as uh, traditionally, traditionally the second leading industry in the state um, and understand how important that is to their everyday lives as well as to the state as a whole because uh, the reality is, is Kansas is highly dependent upon the oil and gas industry um, uh, to, for its economic welfare. How long have you guys been around? Uh, we've been around since 2006. I've been with the company uh, about three and a half years now as the executive director. And um, uh, really, if you look at our history, it's really been over the past probably about six years that we've been a really active part of the Kansas oil and gas industry. What's happening in the oil and gas industry in Kansas? We've had a few people in the past. Uh, one I remember was using some solar-powered panels in order to pump some pump jacks in Kansas. I thought that was kind of cool. Uh, talk to me yeah. about uh, some of the different shale plays and some of the different, or the formations, if you will, the names of them, and just if there's a company or two maybe that uh, has some activity going. Just give us any kind of update you can from the state of Kansas in the oil and gas industry. Yeah, I think uh, we've got a lot of creative uh, innovations that have taken place. I mean, Kansas historically um, has been a huge part of the oil and gas industry. It goes all the way back to 1915 uh, when Stapleton Number 1 was hit. Um, at, no, at that point in time, people really didn't believe that anything uh, you know, to the west of the Mississippi could really produce much. Um, and uh, Stapleton Number 1 was the first well ever discovered exclusively through geological uh, uh, data, and it fundamentally changed the oil and gas industry as a whole, uh, putting geology on the forefront as a science. And if you actually look at a lot of the colleges around the world, their geology departments, uh, were their geology buildings were built shortly after 1915 because of the discovery that happened here in 1915 in Kansas. Um, at that point in time, one county in Kansas, one single county, produced 9% of the world's oil. Uh, that was an oil that won World War I. As the British said from the floor of Parliament, the Allies floated to victory on a sea of oil. So our history goes back a long ways. We were also the very first state ever used hydraulic fracturing in 1947. Um, followed up by another well that was uh, fracked in Oklahoma in 1949. And, and so uh, we have a deep history uh, here in the state. We don't have a lot of shell play. 
uh, as you mentioned that before. Um, we are more vertical wells that are uh, more traditional in nature. The average oil well in Kansas produces between two and three barrels a day, so we're more of a small play. Uh, but we have a lot of independent oil and gas producers. In fact, we have the largest number of independent oil and gas producers of any region in the state. Uh, the big boys uh, generally don't play here. And uh, in one way that, that makes us stronger, especially in economic downturns like we're experiencing right now. I didn't realize you were the first state to do the hydraulic fracturing. I guess that's that's incredible. So how important is the educational aspect of either your job or just Kansas Strong? I, I believe it's extremely important in the oil and gas industry, but talk to me a little bit about uh, your views on education and what your involvement is. Yeah, uh, education is vitally important because what we always hear in the news media or what we always see on social media is one of two camps. On the one side, you have people who are adamantly against us, um, and no matter what we say, do, uh, they're always going to be against us. On the other side, you have people that are adamantly for us. And no matter what we say or do, they're always going to be for us. But in the middle, there's what we call the vast majority of the messy middle. And that messy middle are people that really just do not have enough information about the energy sector, about oil and natural gas, about fossil fuels as a whole. They don't have the information available to them to really make a definitive position in their own lives. And so education is vital to reaching that messy middle to help them understand that when you got up this morning, you turned off that alarm, you touched a oil and gas uh, provided product. When you brushed your teeth, when you shampooed your hair, when you put on your shoes, when you uh, picked up your cell phone and checked it, all of these things. In fact, uh, oil and gas is used to produce over 6,000 raw materials that are used to produce millions of products that we utilize every single day. And most people don't know that. How can you make a decision about what should or should not happen about fossil fuels at the ballot box um, if you don't even understand what those fossil fuels are providing to your everyday life? I mean, a lot of people are, don't mind if gas prices go up a little bit uh, if we reduce fossil fuel usage. But I guarantee you they will mind when their uh, medications go up in price because the pill capsule that is produced by petroleum products that they swallow every single day is greatly increased because no longer is that pill capsule, the, the petrochemicals that are used to produce it, being paid for by the fuel but are now having to be paid for in and of themselves, which will escalate the price extraordinarily. And so, you know, it's vital to educate people on how the ramifications do not just occur at the pump. They occur in every single aspect of their lives across the board. That's an interesting analogy. I always bring up hypodermic needles that uh, whenever we get into one of these discussions about eliminating fossil fuels, which to me, that's not even a, a political argument. That's just trying to have a rational discussion at that point because, again, do you want everything in your life to increase? And that's why I say, well, how are we going to do hypodermic needles? Are we going to reuse them? Are we going to not have a plastic seal over them? What's your plan on just a basic thing? Flu season's coming up. we got COVID problems. So hypodermic needles, let's talk about that before we just get rid of everything. Before we throw the baby out with the bathwater, like you're suggesting, you know, it's yeah. just, it just it becomes in the realm, what do I call it? The planet of platitudes versus the realm of reality. That so many people are living in the planet of platitudes where they just think if we just, you know, 
have rosy thoughts, everything's going to be fine. And the reality is it doesn't work out that way. And that's a tough, tough connection to get with people. And that's the next part of our conversation I'd like to talk about is connecting with the youth. Uh, You and I talked a little bit about how you go around to high schools and and different schools and and colleges uh, before we got on the air. And that's been, that is a very important part to what the crude life does. Last summer, I spoke on several panels about this issue, about how, you know, this is before COVID. This is when oil companies were laying people off last summer. So this is, this was when there was problems. We had Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren were the two presidential candidates openly talking about banning fossil fuels and um, AOC that, that, um, I, I forget her full name because we don't really pay much into politics. But she was doing the gr- New Green Deal, and that was being discussed. So we saw this momentum in this movement, and we also saw the disconnect with the youth. So we were talking about that, and uh, we have done so much here. We've sponsored kids' events. We've had youth reporters interview like Harold Ham and Mike Henderson from Marathon Oil, and we've sent them out to do different things. So we've tried to engage with the kids. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you one example here, Mr. Warren Martin, because you educate with kids. And I don't know how your presentation style is. But when we brought a, a child, uh, he was 11, to one of the conferences, uh, they had a, uh, a bike out there with uh, petroleum pro- without petroleum products. So it was like a rusted frame. And they were educating the kid, but it was more of a lecture. And so they were more like kind of degrading the kid a little bit, like he wasn't smart enough to understand this. And I thought, oh, that's an interesting approach. Kind of turn him off a little bit, you know. And so, you know, and and when I sat on a panel, I talked about Instagram and YouTube. And boy, these other guys just countered with, no, buy more television ads and things like that. And I go, my kid, I mean, we haven't, we got rid of our television in 2006, so, yeah. it, so um, sorry, I, I, I took the question. I stretched it way too far for, you know, to be, to be uh, not listening to myself talk at this point. So I'll let you jump in and just kind of talk a little bit about the education. But I wanted to give you some context to where I do believe I've seen it firsthand to where as an industry, I think that we need to do a better job connecting with the youth. So I'll just hand it over to you at this point. Yeah, we, I, I agree with you wholeheartedly, and I, I agree talking to kids uh, really, uh, you know, I have four daughters of my own, and talking to them really doesn't do any good. Um, what does do good is when you give them an experience, and that's what most people in the world are looking for, especially the millennial uh, generation and below that, really looking for that experience. And so what we generally do when we're talking about education, we're talking about being in the classroom handing them rock samples, handing them uh, fossils, uh, uh, drawing on the board and interactive uh, games and activities uh, to really explain how the uh, petroleum industry is tied into every aspect of our life. And and here in Kansas, you know, you had the vast majority of uh, counties across the state that rely on oil and gas production, especially in western Kansas, where that's the number one financial producer um, in a lot of the counties in western Kansas. And so it's not just a part of, of, of their everyday life and the products they use. It's a part of the community that they live in. Uh, like I said, Kansas has the largest 
uh, Association of Independent Oil and Gas Producers of any region in the state. Uh, the big boys are not here, uh, but what that tends to mean is that tends to mean that the local producer is local. They live in the communities that they, their companies operate in. They work in the communities that their companies operate in. They donate to the communities that their companies operate in. And so it's not uh, like a lot of other uh, uh, plays that are out there in the world. But here, it is very personal. It is very uh, independent. And it is very much a part of the fabric of the communities. And so to give the kids that hands-on, interactive experience in their classroom is vital to them being able to make an educated decision later on in life. I've made the comparison on the show before, and given the fact that you're in Kansas, I think that you'll have a very unique perspective on this, which is I believe what's happening right now in the energy sector is what many of the farmers went through in the 70s and the 80s. And what I mean by that is in the 70s and the 80s, the rise of the grocery store and the rise of the McDonald's and everything really took away the fact that your food came from a farm. Everybody just assumed you go to the grocery store and there's, there's where your meat comes from. I think a lot of people think that the energy comes from the light switch. When you start talking about replacing, you know, coal, solar and wind and, and coal and, and fossil fuels and all these different things and engineers all of a sudden start getting out of, out of sorts because the whatever doesn't match up and, and you got blackouts in California, all these different things. It's just... To me, it seems like the average person now is starting to just believe that the energy comes from the light switch. When, and that's what I mean by the comparison of the farmers with the grocery store. I don't know if you got a, a perspective on that or you have a comment on that, but that's that's been kind of my thesis for about a year now. No, I, I would agree with you. I think we are going through, you know, my dad was a, a farmer who eventually was forced out of farming. Um, during that period of time, and, and you had a lot of big conglomerates that were taken over. And to a large degree, that's what you're seeing in the uh, energy industry. What Russia and Saudi Arabia did at the beginning of the year that matched up with COVID that really sent the oil industry into a debacle um, was all about that as well. It was about uh, fixing the price to try and push, it, push out some of the independent producers that are around the world. Uh, what's interesting about Kansas is is while you see a lot of that uh, uh, larger, you see a lot of the larger oil companies that are beginning to uh, really tighten the belt. In fact, if you look at the largest producers that here in the state of Kansas, the top 25 uh, in, in the state of Kansas, 15 of those were actually upping production. 15 out of the 25 were upping production as of the beginning of this year. Um, 40% of the de of those companies that were decreasing are not based in Kansas. And so what you're seeing here in Kansas is where in a lot of the energy sector you have major takeovers by larger oil companies that are gobbling up independents that had overstretched themselves when the oil market crashed. Um, here in Kansas you see a lot more of the independent producers that are holding their ground. Um, and the big boys don't want to play here because our wells don't produce at the level that they see as having a, a good enough profit margin to really encroach upon that area. And so uh, we are kind of one of those last bastions of the independent producers uh, where we are going to see some 
uh, uh, merging. We're going to see some buyouts, uh, some bankruptcies from from this. But uh, the the companies that will be taking those over generally are Kansas-based companies. And so, yeah, I agree with you wholeheartedly that you are going to see a lot fewer um, independents at the end of this process. But fortunately for us here in Kansas, most of the time those are still going to be local producers that take over those those areas. In fact, if you look at the people that are based outside of Kansas, those are the ones who did the most cutbacks um, uh, in 2019. And so uh, those uh, that are inside of Kansas, um, the vast majority of them actually saw an increase in production because they were taking over more and more of those well sites. Warren Martin is our guest. Kansas Strong is the name of the organization. Kansas Strong. All right. And that's a nonprofit. You travel around, you educate the masses from the kids to the adults to the conferences on oil and gas. Also, Kansas oil and gas. The state is primarily independence, much like North Dakota. North Dakota is structured the same way where there's not a lot of corporations. Uh, we have a state mill. We've got a state bank. They've got some other state-run thing, and that's actually designed to keep corporations out of the state. Now, we do a lot of business with corporations, but as far as being based in there, that's not the case. Do you have a lot of uh, big, big, you know, the big guys? Do they do, they do much there? But you mentioned that the, the wells don't produce enough to be very satisfactory for a lot of, you know, the big budget sheets and balance sheets and that sort of thing. So, is the primary amount of drilling in Kansas done by, you know, the by, by just Kansas operators? Because in North Dakota, you take the top eight producers, it's Whiting and Conoco and Oasis, and these are not North Dakota companies. However, you know, they'll use independence internally to, to go drill and go do fishing line and that sort of thing. So talk to me a little bit about, you know, the, the supply chain and, and, and that sort of thing. Because you mentioned a few times that, you know, the big boys really don't get into Kansas too often. So um, is that is that the case? Like even they, they don't even yeah. get get a lease and top it down, huh? Yeah. Uh, no, we, you know, Sand Ridge got involved uh, a few years ago, and, and they're in the top 25 producers uh, pretty far down the list. They're at 21. Uh, but when you start looking at the top producers in the state, you got Merritt Energy, you got uh, Barexco, you got Murfin Drilling, Vess Oil Corporations, American Warrior. Uh, Merritt Energy is the only one of those that's not based in Kansas. Um, you keep going down the list, and, and the vast majority of the top 25 are based right here in Kansas. Um, you know, a lot of the majors got their start here with the 1915 uh, oil boom that took place, the start at Stapleton number one. Uh, uh, you had you had a lot of the big boys, uh, city services. You had, uh, you know, Texaco. You had a lot of the big boys that got involved and got into play there. But as the uh, uh, plays began to develop in Oklahoma and especially Texas, uh, Permian Basin, they began to move out of Kansas um, and independence really began to take over Kansas as a whole. And so really we are a, uh, a very much dominated by uh, independent producers here in Kansas. Any natural gas plays? Uh, sometimes, you know, obviously you can get some natural gas plays where there's not any crude oil or not enough, you know, that sort of thing, different, yeah. different ratios, if you will. Uh, do you guys have any gas gas plays in Kansas? Oh, absolutely. 
absolutely. We're, uh, you know, down in uh, southwestern Kansas is the Hugoton uh, natural gas field, a lar- uh, you know, largest one of the largest natural gas fields in the world. Um, and but it is on a diminishing capacity, meaning every year you know we produce less natural gas there than we did the year before. And so it's a play that's been in in for almost a hundred years now. Um, and so, you know, we don't have a lot of new plays and that's, that's one of the reasons why, um, you know, our, our drill count. So for right now, this week, we have 10 active rigs across the state. Um, uh, of those, six of those are in Western Kansas. Two of those are in Eastern Kansas. There's the Nemaha lift that goes across the state. So our state is really divided in two very uh, dramatically different oil industries, eastern Kansas and western Kansas. Eastern Kansas, you're talking about plays at you know a few hundred feet. Uh, western Kansas, you're talking about plays in thousands of feet, 5,000 uh, around 5,000 feet or so. And so there's very different cultures from east side of the state to west side of the state. So we have two active rigs on the east side. We have six active rigs. In the west side, while there is some exploration, uh, Murph and Drilling, the drilling company just uh, opened up a new uh, field up in western Kansas, northwestern Kansas. Uh, we don't have the details on that yet. They're still uh, have not been released yet, but they just opened up a new play. But the vast majority of the wells that are being drilled in Kansas are supplemental wells in a existing field to try and uh, keep the field's uh, activity at current levels. Um, and so they're trying to supplement how much oil they get out of that same field that they, they've already been at play with. Um, there is some discovery, but the discovery in Kansas is significantly limited because we have been in the oil and gas industry for over well over 100 years now. How about abandoned wells? Shut-ins, that sort of thing. Did the uh, Corona COVID affect any shut-ins? Any any sort of uh, production issues? And uh, I don't know if this. There's a lot of abandoned wells been in the news lately, and that sort of thing. So I just thought I'd get an update from that side. Whether it's uh, in North Dakota, they're using you know CARES Act uh, Corona money to to help oil producers shut in wells so they don't become abandoned. And in other communities, they've got abandoned wells that are problems and, and et cetera. So kind of unique, different twists on, on some of those issues. But uh, I don't know if that's been any problems within Kansas, but I thought I'd give you an opportunity to talk about abandoned wells or the recent uh, shut-ins that have been in the news. Yeah, I think that, you know, when you talk about, uh, when you talk about industry, it's over 100 years old. Um, uh, anywhere that that's true in the oil and gas industry, you're going to have abandoned wells. You're going to have wells that were not properly marked, you know, um, uh, 40, 50 years ago, 60 years ago, 70 years ago. And so, uh, especially in eastern Kansas, where we have some of our older fields from El Dorado uh, back to the east, uh, the abandoned wells, and we also got a lot of population uh, growth around the Kansas City area. Those two things merge, and you begin to find uh, abandoned wells that were not previously uh, marked. And so uh, the KCC has worked really closely with uh, oil and gas producers in the state and are currently actively in a program to really uh, isolate and identify um, all wells 
um, especially in eastern Kansas, but all over the state, but really a big focus on eastern Kansas, to identify those abandoned wells so that they can properly be taken care of. Um, there is some policy issues that are involved, and because of our standing as a nonprofit, I can't really comment on those. Uh, but I can tell you that there is a real concerted effort between the KCC and oil and gas producers to identify and address uh, abandoned wells, especially in eastern Kansas. Final thoughts. I'd like to give the guests the final thought, if you will. That way the question isn't framed by me or elaborated too far with some context that doesn't make any sense. So I thought I'd like to give you the floor, if you will. You can either reiterate something or you can talk about a new issue that maybe we missed at this point. Or if you got a great chili recipe and you feel like giving that out, you can do that too. So the floor is yours, sir. <laughs> well, I don't have a chili recipe, but I do have a recipe that I think that um, all of your listeners need to be heartened by. And that is the fact that, you know, uh, knowledge really does matter. Education matters. Um, and having knowledge that you can go to the polls with, having knowledge that you can enter into a conversation with really matters. I think for way too long the oil and gas industry as a whole uh, understood the role that they played in everybody's lives every single day. And even more so now with petrochemicals growing at such an exponential rate that petrochemicals are growing, so much so that, uh, uh, that potentially they are pushing peak oil back uh, to 2041 or even beyond because the petrochemical industry is growing so fast. And so, but I think that the oil and gas industry has always understood the role that it played in people's everyday lives and kind of took a too big to fail approach where we don't have to respond to what's going on in the community and the attacks that are coming at us. We don't need to respond to that because you can't live without us. You have to have us, so we'll just remain silent and we'll keep doing our job and you'll keep needing us and everything will work out. And the current political climate that we live in, the current social climate that we live in, we are learning that is just not the case. Um, we cannot remain silent. We must be involved in public education. We must be involved in helping people to understand the importance of our industry in their everyday lives, the importance of our industry in uh, the future, and the importance of our industry in their economic and social well-being moving forward as a, the greatest nation on this earth. And if we are not doing that education, we are missing an opportunity uh, to really uh, advance our own industry. We cannot remain silent any longer. We have to be advocates. And I'm not just talking about uh, oil and gas industries PR firms. I'm talking about every pumper in the field. I'm talking about every rig hand that's throwing chain out on the rig. Um, I'm talking about every single individual in the oil and gas industry must be an advocate for their industry uh, or we're going to continue losing ground for our industry. And that's really the, what Kansas Strong stands for. Uh, strong stands for strength through reliable oil and natural gas. That is where the United States' strength has come from. Oil and gas has led in every major advancement that you can look at historically uh, in, in the United States from the 1900s on. It has been a leader uh, of our nation. It will continue to be a leader of our nation unless we remain silent 
and then we will lose our voice and we'll lose our place. And the United States will suffer for it. So I believe wholeheartedly that we must become advocates for our own industry, for the benefit of our country. Well said. And as you were talking, it really got me thinking about how education is so important and how I brought up before the example of, you know, the kind of lecturing to the youth as opposed to connecting with them and different things. I believe, and this is the first time, this is organic right here. This is so, this is like a white hot thought here. You know, it's not red hot, it's white hot. It's like right in the middle of the flame. That's how off the press this is. Is that, you know how they talk about you need a diverse portfolio and energy? You know, you need a, like BP's been very upfront about, oh, we're going to invest in this and this and this. And over the last few years, you know, biomass and wind and solar, nuclear, a lot of oil companies have taken out a lot of, a lot of money and, and let people know that they're trying to be very diverse with their energy portfolio. I almost think that needs to be done in education because you it, it, putting your eggs in one basket when it comes to your PR firm or comes to your educational aspect or comes to whatever, sometimes, you know, isn't the best strategy either. You almost need a diversity for the educational aspect. Does that make sense, Mr. Warren Martin? Yes, absolutely, and I agree with you. I think right now is a perfect example of why exactly. you need to have I mean, if you look at uh, oil and gas companies across the nation, if you are not somewhat diversified, if you are not, if you are overextended, you're in big trouble right now. You're having a hard time making it. And the more diversified you were, uh, but uh, uh, but it goes beyond that um, in the education sector because where we're at right now, a lot of schools are going to online education rather than in person, which means I'm not going to be in the classroom. So even if you put all your eggs in my basket and said, hey, we're going to support Kansas Strong to get into the classroom, we're not going to get in the classroom this first semester. We may not get into the classroom all year long um, because they're not allowing visitors and a lot of schools are not even meeting in person. And that's why I go back to it. You have to diversify from uh, traditional marketing on TV uh, radio, uh, sporting events, uh, thing, sponsorships, and stuff like that, down to education, being in the classroom, being active in that, down to that pumper, that accountant, that uh, you know, rig hand, uh, that are also advocates for your in- industry. Because in the situation we're in right now, parents aren't even allowed in a lot of schools. They have to stop at the office, and the kids have to be brought to them to the office. And so if we want to be a part of education across the board, um, we are going to have to be educators across the board. We have to diversify throughout the entirety of our company. Um, I did a a video not too long ago uh, filming a well from stake to flow. Uh, From the moment a stake was put in the ground until crude oil flowed out the other end, every single aspect of it. And you'd be amazed at how many people that work in uh, the industry, that work on that well, came to me and said, hey, when you get that finished, I want to see it because I know what happens right before I come to the well. I know what happens right after I come to the well, and I know what happens while I'm there, but I don't know anything beyond that. And and our industry is so highly specialized that a lot of people in the industry don't understand the industry's greater impact beyond what they do within the industry. And so education needs to happen not only in schools. It needs to happen in our industry. 
so that everyone in our industry can be an advocate for the great impact that we have in everyday lives. You go to a nursing home right now, any nursing home just about in the United States, you're going to drive in and you're going to see a sign at the front that says, Heroes Work Here. And they are. They're taking care of elderly people in a time when uh, a pandemic's going on, and it's a duly put in front of those nursing homes. But I tell you right now, every single oil well, every single oil and gas office, every single person working in the industry, driving in their pickup, working out in the field, pumping those wells, could carry the same time, same sign. We heroes work here because this industry is what's providing the resources for America to be America, and it's going to provide the resources for America to rise up out of this pandemic.